This episode is sponsored by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community that offers membership with meaning. With so much to explore, real projects to create, and the support of fellow creatives, Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth. Witness your own transformation as you turn small steps into giant leaps. Skillshare makes it so. There are a lot of fascinating classes on Skillshare, on topics including illustration, design, and animation. When I was looking through the class list, I saw one called Logo Design with Draplin, Secrets of Shape, Type, and Color. Now, Sarah and I are both actually huge fans of Aaron Draplin. We love him. He's a fantastic designer, and his work is very bold and simple, and it's fun, and I'm sure you'll love it too. He's also a huge sweetheart, and if you're lucky enough to meet him at a convention, just know that he gives these fantastic bear hugs because he's such a positive guy, and he's so excited that you're supporting his work. Um, But anyway, I recommend taking his classes because he's just a delightful weirdo, and you'll be a better designer for it. So just head to Skillshare.com slash MusicalSplaining, where our listeners will get a free trial of Skillshare Premium. That's right, a free trial of Skillshare Premium at Skillshare.com slash MusicalSplaining. There's nothing better than getting better. Accomplishing growth is extremely satisfying, and online classes from Skillshare make it all possible. All right, everybody, welcome to the Musical Splaining Podcast. I am your host and fungible token, Kava Teharian. And I heard you like coffee in your coffee, <laughs> Lindsay Ellis. <laughs> yes, Lindsay was just telling me about her her wonderful red eye that she's drinking, which is coffee inside of coffee. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of like an inception yeah, type thing. This is thing. actually, this is a scale down because normally I get a black eye, which is oh, I'm sorry. two shots of espresso. <laughs> You, you don't have enough coffee in your coffee, so this is iced coffee with espresso in it, dumped into it. Uh, but I, I scaled back. I only got one shot of espresso, so this is a red eye. Moderation. That's what comes with age and wisdom. Yeah, I'm really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> Just speaking of moderation, let's talk about candy. Candy. I was going to say, speaking of age, we're talking about an old-timey classic, and it's a more contemporary remake. I always confuse the and two. And then it's, it's, it's newer. It's newer contemporary. There'll be an even newer one, a, a prequel. So yeah. it's, it's Willy Wonka. Right. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory slash Charlie and the, Charlie Chocolate, and the Chocolate Factory, Factory. slash Charlie and the Chocolate Factory 2023. We'll begin with a spin traveling in the world of my creation. What we'll see will defy X. Which is funny because, like, I chose this topic like the day before Chalamet. Chalamet. We're reaching Chalamet saturation, boy. I like he's yeah. This is peak Chalamet, which is wild because like all of the movies he was in weren't even released this year, but he still manages to be in everything. He's the hot Hollywood boy right now. That's what they love. They love to take somebody that's great and then put them in everything and then burn them out and then move on to the next one. Is he great? Uh, is he great? I know. I was just saying he's like in everything. Right. And I'm just like, what has he been in? I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, he was in Little Women. He was Spider-Man. That's the only thing I really remember him from. Admittedly, I don't know what, a whole lot about his career. When was he Spider-Man? Oh, I'm sorry. I was confusing him with Tom Holland. You, oh, shit. You racist. <laughs> I, still, I know they all look the Oops. same to you. The, uh, oh, my bad. Oh, my God. I'm so old. Please just, <laughs> just fire him. That was the oldest. confused with Tom Holland. 
Uh, he, you can find you can uh, scold him at Kavitaharian uh, on Twitter. Shut it down. We're done. <laughs> this is over. Anyway, some young dude is going to be him in a new movie, etc. Yeah, Tom so Holland forth. is going to star. Tom in Holland, Spider Man. Yeah. <laughs> I literally this whole time thought it was Tom Holland. I honestly did not even realize. In the Carib Factory. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking about. <laughs> Willy Wonka and the Cho- okay, yes. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I'm just going to go right into the notes. That'll help yeah. us. All right. Mm-hmm. It's a 1971 American musical fantasy film directed by Mel Stewart and starring Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka. It's an adaptation of the 1964 novel Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald Dahl with screenplay by Dahl himself. Oh, I didn't know he wrote the screenplay. He was really easy to work with, yeah, I hear. He's, he was extremely non-protective of his works. But do you fault him for that, though, honestly? Like, if you wrote, like, a thing that you love and that, like, you're, it's being adapted into another I mean, medium. I don't fault him for being protective. I do kind of fault him for sucking. Um, <laughs> but we'll get to Touché. my spicy roll, spicy roll doll takes later. Fair enough. Uh, the storyline follows Charlie as he wins a contest along with four other children and is led by Wonka on a tour of his chocolate factory. The Academy Award nominated original score and songs were composed by Leslie Bracus and Anthony Newley. Are, are they people that did other stuff that is famous? Um, well, they they wrote Pure Imagination, so that's got to be worth something. Pure Imagination. The film was not a big success, being the 53rd highest grossing film of the year in the U.S., earning just over 2.1. That's back like when there were only like 55 movies yeah, released in a say. single year. So that's that's intense. That's some like hardcore failure. Yeah, that's like the bottom of the rack. Yeah. Earning just over 2.1 million on its opening weekend, which even if you're like, that's like $4 million by today's standards, maybe. I don't yeah. know, 50 million. <laughs> I don't know how much inflation's happened. Yeah. yeah. It's about, yeah, it's about 3 billion. Don't worry about it. <laughs> It only earned as much as Black Panther in its entirety of its run. The film gained a cult following and became highly popular in part through repeated television airings and home entertainment sales, which I think which should probably be the case for both you and I. Uh, that's where we became familiar with it. That's absolutely where I saw it all the time. It's just always on TV. Mm-hmm. Though Dahl is the sole credited screenwriter, David Seltzer, who went uncredited in the film, was brought in to rework the original screenplay against Dahl's wishes, making major changes. For the record, this is one of the rare instances where Lindsay agrees with Roald Dahl. Oh, interesting. Please elaborate. How do you agree with him? Um, I think the movie kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> because, from a screenplay standpoint, again, like I'm not a huge fan of this property as, mm-hmm. a, as a children's story. I think it's really mean and judgmental and kind of the opposite of helpful or educational. (laughs) I just think I just, uh, but if you're going down this road of Charlie and the chocolate factory being like this really simplistic, moralistic tale of a bunch of spoiled kids who are shitty and Charlie, who's the good one in the book and in the Tim Burton movie, Charlie behaves and plays by the rules while all Mm -hmm. the spoiled kids don't. And so for some reason they added a bunch of crap in the 1971 movie about Mm -hmm. how Charlie's just as bad as the rest of them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is where we get you lose good day, sir. But it's just like from a story standpoint, it's just like, why did they add this? You know, because it's just like, again, I don't love the moral of the book, but like mm-hmm. at least it had, it had a cohesive vision, you know? Yeah. And so like for them to like change it and add this like, well, Charlie's shitty too, <laughs> angle and plot tangent that goes nowhere. Um, I can see where Roald Dahl was a little pissed off about that. Hmm. 
from context clues I've taken it, you did read the books, the book then. Mm. Did you read it as a kid or did you read it like later? Uh, both actually. Uh, no, no, actually I didn't read it as a kid. I read it after the Tim Burton movie came out. Oh, okay. So you read it much more recently. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, uh, uh, that was back, you know, when, when we actually liked Tim Burton. So I was like, you know, interested in the production of that movie. Mm-hmm. Cause like they were marketing the Tim Burton movie. It's just like, you know, we love Gene, Wal- Gene Wilder. We stand, but that movie wasn't very much like the book and the Tim Burton movie, as we'll find out, actually did like somehow or other the Roald Dahl estate after he died, got a lot of the creative control that they lost in this uh, production, the 1971 production back. Mm -hmm. And so the Dahl estate actually had a lot more creative control over the 2005 movie. So they were really marketing out that like, you know, this one is like, you know, it's more like the book. It's, you know, got more book stuff in it. It's like sticks to it. And I think it is honestly a much stronger movie for it, even Mm -hmm. though I don't, love the underlying moralism of of the source you know, material chocolate, even. Yeah. the chocolate factory cinematic universe yes um, <laughs> the chocolate factory cinematic universe the, the wwcu yeah it's gene wilder johnny depp and timothy chalamet like it's like james bond now at this point how many different people exactly i mean an interesting character i think more interesting than james bond so i could see it i could see this just being a thing every 10 or 20 years we get a new willy wonka yeah and just sort of like re-examining how capitalist structure works God, timothy chalamet's like nine (laughs) what are they doing how old was he when he cited spider-man even i can't tell (laughs) i better get it out now because everyone's gonna slaughter me (laughs) yeah yeah Hey, tell us on Twitter how you felt about Timothy Chalamet as Spider-Man. This is yet another entry into somehow I'm full on dad brain despite not having children. Ultimately, while Roald Dahl is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory's credited screenwriter, the novelist hated the final product, believing it was crummy and not caring for the changes made, the music, or the direction. His word that he used was crummy. Crummy. That seems appropriate for a man who wrote a book about a chocolate factory. (laughs) Uh, he felt the Gene Wilder casting was wrong, says Donald Sturrock, a friend of Dahl's and the author of Storyteller, The Life of Roald Dahl. His ideal casting was Spike Milligan, who was a, a surreal English comedian. And he said Milligan was really up for doing it. He even shaved his beard off to do a screen test. Do you know who Spike Milligan is? Are you familiar with his work? No idea. It is kind of wild, though. Like the thing he hated the most <laughs> about this movie was Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. Yeah. <laughs> So let's talk about Gene Wilder a little bit. Yeah. The thing I remember about this, because again, like most kids our age, I, I've seen this a million times. I have not watched it in a quite a long, in quite a long time, but I do remember something about, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago is like when people started to reach adulthood, the sort of slow realization came about all of us that like Gene Wilder is actually kind of a fucking huge weirdo in this movie. Yeah. Kind of horrible, but I like, I couldn't really tell. Yeah, I was that's like, why oh, I think yeah. he's perfect. Yeah. You know, it's like, I've only actually watched this movie, I think one time all the way through. Really? Um, I, yeah, it's one of those like, you know, that I've, I feel like I've watched the musical numbers a bunch of times. And because I remember in the early days of iPod, I had the soundtrack on yeah. my iPod. <laughs> Which iPod? iPod but, Nano? iPad One? Uh, the Click Wheel iPod? Uh, it was a cl- oh, yeah. I think I had all of them. All yeah. of the iPod. I don't remember. <laughs> but I feel like I only saw it like once or twice the whole way through. And again, it was like in college, mm-hmm. you know, for like you know film studies reasons. There's two things that I think work about the movie. I think that, you know, besides like some of the technical stuff, because I think like they shot it in Munich 
And oh, I didn't know that. You know, for financial reasons, but yeah. it is like kind of a you know a really nice looking movie for that reason. I think mm-hmm. they use Munich well. The music is actually pretty good. It's pretty memorable. Uh, but also Gene Wilder is pretty perfect as this sort of like being able to bounce between, you know, this like sort of mercurial patronly yeah. figure. Mercurial is perfect. That's exactly the demon, word to describe him. <laughs> like evil, <laughs> like imp, yeah. I guess. <laughs> like, you know, delights in the pain of others. Uh, you know, he's really funny too, you know, cause we had, there's so many memes from this movie. This, yeah. You this know, movie like, is probably the most memed I can think of, of like an old school movie. Like there's so many that came from this. Yeah, there's yeah. The, there's Don't the Gene Wilder. This, yeah. yeah, this. Uh, you lose. Grandpa Joe, or... like the golden ticket. There's a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I bet you there's a lot of people who've never even seen this who just know or are familiar with it yeah, based yeah. on like how much the images circulate. It's like the beef gift from Phantom of the Paradise. Like <laughs> you see that all the time. It was like, oh, I didn't know what that was from. I guess Gene Wilder as an. I think like I, you know, again, not a huge fan of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but like. I, I kind of do feel like Gene Wilder is like, you know, fused into my DNA because yeah. I have seen um, Blazing Saddles about 1.6 quadrillion times. <laughs> um, Young Frankenstein, <laughs> too. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, like, less that one. Blazing Saddles is the one I've seen a billion times mm. um, and uh, like have that movie memorized. Like, I, I mean, I like Young Frankenstein, but never like in the way that I did Blazing Saddles. And I feel like. You know, there, you know, there's it's like an interesting range between like Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein and Willy Wonka, all of which were made within like this two year span of each other. Yeah. Character wise, but they all kind of capture this like combination of manic energy and vulnerability that I think makes Gene Wilder feel really timeless. The scene I always think of is, uh, you know, when they finally go to the chocolate factory and like all the kids are about to come in and then there's this really long take of him coming out and he's got the cane and he's sort of like mm-hmm. stumbling. Oh, and like, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. coming out and very slowly <laughs> and then you're like, oh fuck, he's really old. And then at the last second he like trips, but then he just goes into this barrel roll and pops back. It's like, I don't know. I'm getting emotional thinking about it. I always think of like, yeah. that's it's such a piece of showmanship on his part. I love, I yeah, love that yeah, shot. Yeah. It's a great it's, take. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I put in this quote from Vanity Fair uh, from his obituary from 2016 it described Gene Wilder's face as an amused oval capable of both warmth and a wry, half insane menace. It's true. Uh, so I feel like that's sort of like why he is kind of a perfect Willy Wonka. Yeah. Um, it's like a can crazy be, yeah, so like, uncle so like, In comparison to Johnny Depp's Willy Wonka, who I think is like. Stunted is lot, what I thought of. Yeah. Arrested development, but also a lot more like, you know vulnerable you don't get any vulnerability from gene wilder wonka so i guess it depends on what you want in your wonka whether that works for you <laughs> do you want daddy issues wonka or do you want like above it all wonka yeah, most people true. prefer the, the the latter the gene wilder yeah so we should talk about the oompa loompas <laughs> the fair absolutely even-handed depiction of <laughs> The Oompa Loompas. Well, I, I included this because it was like in an article about why uh, Dahl did not like the Gene Wilder movie. Um, and part of it was because like as the movie was being made, the NAACP mm-hmm. stepped in like um, about this. Uh, <laughs> ahem, ahem. Uh, no, Sir? <laughs> don't. Uh, because in the book, the Oompa Loompas are originally described as pygmies from the deepest heart of Africa. Mm. And they're all 
tiny black people. That was another thing that was like wrested out of his control, which he didn't love, was the filmmakers are like, cool, so they're all white dudes now with mm. orange faces and green hair. Um, and they are like going, and that's funny when you like think of the Oompa Loompa song. Yeah. It is like, it couldn't be whiter. Like it's like they they, <laughs> they engineered this song to be like bum, bum, to, bum, to, bum, bum, yeah bum, sound bum. almost kind of German. Oompa loompa doopa dee dee. If you are wise, you'll listen to me. So they made the Oompa Loompas really, really white. And also they didn't want, like the NAACP didn't want to endorse the sale of the book because whether the film was racist or not, that the book still was. So in their words, they thought that the movie should be made under a different title, Mm -hmm. uh, which is part of why they changed the title. Oh, okay. make (laughs) Make the Oompa Loompas white. So they did. And Dahl actually went back to the original book and rewrote it. So they were no longer pygmies from deepest Africa, but little orange dudes with green hair. Oh, okay. So he, what is, is it retconning? Is that the term? Yeah. He retconned or, it. No, no retcon is when it's still in the same continuity. He just rewrote it. Oh, just re- Okay. <laughs> like he special edition. Yeah. He special editioned it. I don't know. He directors cut it. I don't know what that's called. Uh, where, cause like Tolkien did that too for Lord of the Rings. Cause like, uh, Gollum in mm-hmm. the original, um, Hobbit from 1937, was actually really nice. And really? Uh, whenever they do, yeah, whenever they do riddles in the dark, um, you know, he does the riddle, he wins, and then Gollum's like, okay, you won okay. Fair, and gives him the ring. Uh, oh so obviously, yeah, he had to rewrite that whenever uh, Lord of the Rings came out because he totally changed what the ring even was. Jesus. Uh, you know, people do that to this day. Yeah, you should consider it whenever you, after you publish your next book and go back and then make Kava Taharian, or your Kava character, like a Kave, super. Kava Mazarani. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's in the first book. He, That's true. He, he writes an article. Yeah, he writes an article in the first book and gets multiple shout outs. He should he should just save everybody from everything and then just be the hero of all the books. I, just, well, yeah. just a thought. That's just a thought. All of them. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Your mentions are going to be really interesting six oh, months from now. People are going to be like, the fuck? Uh, <laughs> All right. Um, I'm not sure how to feel about this. So the writer said he never intended any offense. And at one point during the novel's development, Charlie had actually been black. Interesting. Still, the NAACP. I'm not sure I believe that. Where does your source, (laughs) Lindsay? I, yeah, I'm like, I'm going to call shenanigans, Mr. Dahl. I don't believe that. Sure. Sure. This brings us to our count or not our count or like our our sister film, brother film, sibling film. Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which was the, a Tim Burton joint. Which was, <laughs> this is the second time we have to watch a Tim Burton movie just yeah, so we'll have a, the full context. Because if we don't, then I'll spend the whole second half of the episode talking about the Tim Burton movie. Uh, I did see this one, though. I, like I said, I only saw it once. I just sort of, mm-hmm. because it's so embedded in my brain, like the original, I just remember being like, mm-hmm. you can't yeah. see me, but I'm like making like a weird face like I smelled something bad. Yeah, I'll be talking about the Tim Burton movie and why I think it's better. That's fair, though, comparatively to the book that we were talking about. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, I don't I don't think the book is great, but I think structurally the yeah. Tim Burton movie is much stronger. And it, again, it's like one of those things like, does this bother you? They added this big daddy issues subplot with Christopher Lee um, as Willy Wonka's right, dad. As a dentist. Um, I, I actually do kind of think it works from a structural standpoint, because like arguably, arguably, mm-hmm. arguably. The fact that Willy Wonka doesn't really have any sort of character arc yeah, yeah, could could be a thing. Yeah. Um, because the problem is, like, Charlie doesn't either. 
So in the Willy Wonka and the child, the 1971 movie, mm-hmm. obviously someone had to have a character arc and that character is Charlie. Yeah. Uh, where it's like, he isn't as perfect as he is in the book and the Tim Burton movie. Um, so he does make a mistake and I guess his arc is copping to it. I yeah. don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me why Charlie gets the opportunity to own his mistake and none of the other kids do. It's true. I guess that's his character arc and that's why he wins at the end as opposed to in the book where Charlie is just like perfect the whole time. He's just a good little boy and never causes any trouble. Same in the Tim Burton movie where Charlie is just a good little boy. Mm-hmm. He's just perfect the whole time. Um, and his arc is basically wants thing and gets it. So in the Tim Burton movie, and I honestly think like just from a pure like, you know, where the culture was at the time. Willy Wonka is the guy with the character arc in this movie. Yeah. Um, I think that was smart, you know, because people like, I mean, who cares about kids to be honest? Like, no one gives a shit about like, like no one gives a shit about the eight year old's character arc where he learns to be a good boy and give back the, what was it? He stole in the, like the, 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 for the recipe, um, right? Yeah. The recipe. Yeah. Which is another thing they added. Like, you know, obviously it's there in the book and that's why Willy Wonka is such a curmudgeonly little, you know, protect my intellectual property, Elon Musk sort. <laughs> it's or someone an stole, independent artist. Someone stole his IP. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, in the Tim Burton movie, we now have uh, Willy Wonka as the guy with a character arc and a lesson to learn. So in, you know, letting Charlie into the factory, maybe he's letting the world back inside Into his too. heart. I mean, I guess it makes sense too, right? Because there's something to be said about a weirdo who has a chocolate factory and like doesn't talk to anyone, doesn't go anywhere. You would think that that person just setting it up is the one who would have yeah. naturally need to have the arc. Yeah, it's just sort of like just from a like if you take a step back and be like, well, what is more interesting? The question of will the little good boy continue to be good? Right, to be good, exactly. <laughs> or, yeah. Or why? The, why is this guy the way he is? Yeah. And I think like You're just right, from that a makes story standpoint, yeah, yeah, it is just like obviously that is way more interesting. And so I think that's why they did the way they did. And that's why I think the Tim Burton movie is a lot more interesting. That's fair. Um, I'm on board with that. It, yeah, I, I agree. And I, I, think I, I makes do sense. like, you know, that was again back when they were trying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Johnny Depp's performance was not without detractors. Yeah, it's 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 a doozy. It's a weird one. Uh, it's funny because like I, I, I there was all these comparisons to Michael Jackson at the time. I think I remember that actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I just like, I was, I was looking at clips last night to kind of make sure that the musical numbers qualify. Mm -hmm. Um, It's much less a traditional musical in the way that the first one is because the only musical numbers are the Oompa Loompas. So basically again, the same as the book, the actual music in the Tim Burton movie is written by Danny Elfman, who is having a high old time. Um, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, there are I mean, some that's wild re- numbers in there from yeah, I remember. Yeah, it's another another thing I appreciate about that movie is like Danny Elfman is clearly having a ball. Like Tim Burton was like, "Go wild, my homie," and he did. And <laughs> they're like swing so, numbers and shit, if I remember correctly. Yeah, like, like there's a, a Bollywood number. There's like a '70s like dream number. Um, so uh, the Oompa Loompas in this one are all played by. Um, Indian, Kenyan, British character actor Deep Roy, who who's been in like fucking everything. The lyrics themselves are actually from the book. They are poetry written by Roald Dahl, unlike in the 1971 film where they were all original songs. And Danny Elfman also sings the all of the songs. So Danny Elfman supplies the voices for all of the Oompa Loompas. Oh, I didn't know that he did as well. He pulled a uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, okay. you gotta love that about Danny Elfman, though, oh, since Danny he is Elfman. a former pop. Yeah, yeah. Since he is a former pop star, he likes to take opportunities to like Oingo, get boingo. to perform a little bit. Yeah. And I think, yeah, there's definitely some like Oingo Boingo vibes in the music here because it is really inconsistent. There's no <laughs> artistic cohesion. Yeah, the genres he picks feel kind of arbitrary. You know, again, since he's clearly having so much fun with it, I'm like, go off, Danny. Go Boingo. <laughs> it's kind of like Tolkien, where they'd just mm. be like, when it, whenever each of the kids gets booted, they the Oompa Loompas uh, sing a song at them about how shitty they are. <laughs> so we're going to be watching both films mm-hmm. and uh, seeing if your theory that uh, the second one has a more cohesive story. Yeah, I, th- I feel like the remake is just more cohesive all around. I feel like part of that is just by nature, the fact that it is like it did just kind of have. People who knew what they were doing. <laughs> it's just like, is there a diplomatic way of putting this? <laughs> like, you know, more because uh, I think it's like the thing about John August as a screenwriter is he's very like, you know, nuts and bolts. Yeah. And, and you know, there's a place for that. Just very like solid, competent, structural, structural screenwriting. Yeah. I think he wrote Big Fish, too, right? He did. Yeah. Yeah. This was around the era when Tim Burton peaked, right? Like, yeah. Like 2003, 2004, uh, before we hit Burton saturation and then just have been spiraling ever since. Yeah, Burton remake everything with Disney. (sighs) Yeah, but like, yeah, that was like Corpse Bride, um, Big Fish, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory all came out within about two years of each other. That's crazy. Yeah, Big Fish is like also like just like a very, you know, kind of artistically triumphant movie. It's a very beautiful movie. Yeah. Um, I think that's also kind of why he likes, you know, because Burton always kind of had daddy issues as one of his like, Mm -hmm. you know, themes he likes to come back to. I remember that being a really big criticism of the 2005 movie. Like, this does not belong in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And I think it's it's an interesting point. Like, maybe there, this does not belong here. Willy Wonka is like Darth Vader. We don't need his backstory, you know? <laughs> like That's a fair point, like though. There, yeah. yeah, there's a case to be made that, like, we do we need this? No, I don't care about Willy Wonka's dad. I don't care about his tragic backstory. It's also interesting because I don't think I've watched either of these in a really long time. So I haven't really gone back and looked at it in any kind of critical way since I just sort of consumed them for the sake of consuming them. So it'll be interesting to yeah. see. I mean, you could argue that maybe Burton's also trying to justify the reason for a remake by putting all that kind of stuff into it by saying, mm-hmm. otherwise it just comes off as like a cynical cash grab, which I'm sure it was. <laughs> I can't imagine Tim Burton making a Willy Wonka movie without making Willy Wonka the center of it, like mm-hmm. character wise. You yeah. know, I feel like it just yeah. wouldn't appeal to him. Yeah. So I can see a 2005 remake being more in the vein of the Gene Wilder version where uh, Willy Wonka is um, a, you know, this weird kind of like above it all, like almost superhuman, mysterious character. Yeah. But Tim Burton wouldn't make that movie. No, it's true. Uh, you know, it's kind of it's kind of like asking Guillermo del Toro to make a movie where the monster is just a monster, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> it's just not. It's just not going to happen. He's a supporting character. <laughs> but yeah, I guess like there was this, you know, the case to be made that, um, it, you know, it doesn't benefit from the this alternative perspective. It's kind of like that new remix of "Save Your Tears" by The Weeknd, which I hate. <laughs> uh, because it's got like it's not because it's got Ariana Grande on it. It's because like 
that song is not a song that benefits from two points of view, man. It's like, (laughs) I don't want to hear why she sang Save Your Tears. It's just not, we don't need it. We don't need that. We only need one perspective. I don't like that it's on the radio because now I have to, like, I'll hear it. I'm like, oh, yay, The weekend!" And then there's fucking Ariana Grande talking about why she fucked up too. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear why she fucked up. This isn't about her. This is about him and his self-loathing. Anyway. Fair enough. I have a lot of really strong The weekend feelings. The pandemic's not over. I'm s- uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I spent a lot of time alone with The weekend. And-, and on that note, I think we should yeah. go watch the Willy Wonka and Charlie and the Chocolate I, you know, Factory. You know who would make a really good Willy Wonka? The uh, weekend. The weekend. God bless <laughs> Abel, him. The weekend. Tess Faye. Cancel Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> Cancel him. Bring in The weekend. That's a movie I would pay money to see. Okay. All right. Well, he was in Uncut Gems. He was very good in Uncut Gems. I thought I was that movie that that's a whole other that's a whole other podcast. That movie. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna go watch the movies. We're gonna come back and discuss them. Save your tears for another day. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Curiosity Stream, a subscription streaming service with thousands of documentaries and nonfiction titles, such as Autonomy. Acclaimed author Malcolm Gladwell leads this feature documentary about the emerging technology of self-driving vehicles and the big questions that they raise. What is control? And who do we become as we relinquish it to machines? One thing is for certain, there is no stopping them. The machines will soon be here. And I, for one, welcome our new robot overlords. And I'd like to remind them that as a trusted podcasting personality, I can be helpful in rounding up others to toil in their underground sugar caves. You can also get access to our streaming video service, Nebula, when you sign up for CuriosityStream using our code at curiositystream.com slash musicalsplaining. The Streamy Award-nominated Nebula is a video streaming platform built by and for creators, not demolishers, knocker-downers, topplers, annihilators, or crushers. Unless you're talking about Dr. Beverly Crusher, in which case, count me in. So why do I need Nebula if I've already got CuriosityStream? Do you seriously still not know? CuriosityStream is all about big-budget nonfiction videos, and Nebula is a place for smaller indie education-type creators to try out new ideas that might not work out on YouTube. With Nebula, you can see original, you know, that, that word, that content word I don't like, uh, from creators like Princess Weeks, Patrick H. Willems, and of course, our good friend and very own Lindsay Ellis. Right now, you can get CuriosityStream and Nebula for only $2.99 a month or $15 for the full year. Again, all you got to do is go to curiositystream.com slash musicalsplaining. Once you get the code, you get a welcome email from Nebula giving access to the goods. There's no earthly way of knowing (laughs) where exactly we are going. We are the dreamers. Back. We're We're back. back. Back from a double feature. So, Willy Wonka slash Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, first directed by Mel Stewart, second by Tim Burton, more or less the same plot with some key differences at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it is the story of the titular Charlie going to the chocolate factory of the also titular Willy Wonka, <laughs> who is, depending on the version, either like a mercurial uh, six-dimensional chess player who has <laughs> got a 
all of his shit together at all times or a misanthropic weirdo who hates kids and most people, all people, every, mm-hmm. every, every person except for his indentured servants. And so one by one, all of the kids get picked off because they're bad. Uh, Actually, except, yeah. <laughs> except Charlie in the, in the Mel Stewart version. And we'll get to that. But at the end, of course, you know, Charlie being the best boy uh, wins the prize, which is uh, he, best boy he just to, makes me think of the best boy on a film set. <laughs> yeah, he's, well, this is B.O.I. Right. So he's the best boy. It's different. He gets to become his heir. Although, of course, the consequence there is that uh, the ending is slightly different because in the Tim Burton version, Charlie says no. He says no, thanks. For about a minute. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he says no, Johnny Depp. You have to go reconcile with your estranged father, and then, <laughs> then I, I, have, I have thoughts about that ending too, which I'm sure mm-hmm. we will get into in terms of how that's resolved. All right. So, uh, where are you at? How did the uh, Gene Wilder version stack up against your memory of it? It's actually pretty okay. So uh, this is one thing we didn't talk about in the first half. Which is the musical aspect of it, like it being a yeah. musical, mm-hmm. which I re- <laughs> it's like I don't I never thought of it. Or I should say I didn't ever remember it being a musical. Yeah. So watching it again, I was like, oh, there's a, like a lot of songs in here. And I actually do remember most of these songs. And yet for some reason, it never congealed as one big musical thing to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think it's. um not a good musical. I'm just gonna, <laughs> like, I think it's bad at musical. Um, that doesn't mean there are not good songs in it, but I think structurally it's very strange. Yeah. Um, because as as we've gone on this journey together, yes. Um, you have noted that generally musicals will hit beats, and when mm-hmm. there's a song there, it's generally because it needs to hit hit some emotional beat or it needs to further some emotional point. And some of these songs do feel like deliberate, like the Candyman at the very beginning, of course, uh, sets up, uh, you know, the universe Um, and uh, Pure Imagination also is a good one. Like it's a shift in tone. We're going from like the real world into the magical Willy Wonka world. But then there are some that are just awful. (laughs) Like uh, I think the one is like Cheer Up Charlie. Cheer Up Charlie, give me a Cheer up, Charlie. Uh, I, I mean, have, I like the song. It just doesn't really. You uh, know what it is? Is because she doesn't words, play out. My into note. Anything. My note is war crime. Like, <laughs> I was like, this is just okay. Tried at the Hague. Just in case you're wondering, you can count me out. This is where the I want song should go, right? Like, yes. And instead, it's like this weird, morose, like. Mom wants Charlie to have a thing, but the problem with the Mel Stewart version is Charlie isn't really set up as like a Willy Wonka stan. He mm. just kind of wants the thing because everybody wants it. Therefore, it does kind of beg the question of like, why is he a better choice than anybody else? Especially since he's just as much of a little bastard as the rest <laughs> of the kids in the Mel Stewart version. Uh, because one key difference is, well, there's I guess there's like, these are key differences from the book. Um, the Slughorn subplot, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, Willy Wonka's uh, <laughs> false flag. <laughs> this which, guy that, how do you know that someone's bad? They have a scar on their face. Oh, automatically evil. Yeah. And then he turns like, like no, 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 don't worry. It's prosthetics. Yeah. Uh, so at, at the beginning of the movie, uh, Slughorn goes to all the kids and offers them money if they'll steal an everlasting gobstopper from Willy Wonka's uh, plant. Then 
around the middle of the movie, you know, because like one of the big things in the in the the chocolate factory verse is mm-hmm. Willy Wonka will say, "Don't do the thing," and, and then, then the kids do the thing, do the thing. Yep. and then. Charlie should have been number two out the door because he, Willy Wonka's like, don't don't fuck with my fizzy lifting drink. And what does Charlie do? Right. <laughs> he doesn't even hesitate. He doesn't even do it. Grandpa Joe is the one who fucking instigates it. Or yeah, right, yeah. but he but he like because I was like, surely at least Charlie will be like, I don't know, Grandpa Joe. But no, he just like Grandpa like, Joe's like, let's bro. try it anyway. It's and worked Charlie's out well like, for those other yeah. kids. Yeah. <laughs> And this is like, he's literally number two. And it's just such a, like, I understand why they put it there. I still don't think it works. No, actually, I think he's number three, right? Because first is Augustus Gloop, then it's, then it's Violet. Yeah, it was third. You're right. Because I got Charlie should have been third down (laughs) right after fat shaming in a movie about the wonders of a chocolate factory. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Both of these movies really hate fat kids. (laughs) It's true. They hate a lot of things. Um, It's very hateful. It's a hateful franchise. It's kind of a hateful (laughs) franchise. It's yeah. it's uh, so OK. So the first thing I was thinking was the musical aspect of it. So in, in regards to and I thought about this, uh, the uh, Cheer Up Charlie song, right? The I mm-hmm. Want. That could have been because I don't I like the number. I just like the song. I like the melody. But part of it is, is that the mom is set up and she has a song and then like that's basically it. Yeah. Like, so it doesn't really pay off anywhere. It's just sort of like the mom has a song and it's nice, but that's why it kind of ends up being forgettable. A lot of them yeah, sort of it's, replanted it's like and not paid off. Neither the mom nor Baruch Assault should have had a musical number. number. Even though I know everybody likes I Want It Now, I don't. Um, oh, I still but, liked it. It's so fun. Yeah, it's fine, I guess. But part of, part of it, too, is like, so you you had sort of talked about this a little bit in the first half. It's, it's structural, right? It's the way yeah. that the story is actually... Written. And and in fact, I'm just jumping ahead a little bit. Ultimately, the ending to me of the first of Willy Wonka, I feel the same way about it now as I did as a kid. I was like, I never gave a shit that he got the factory at the end. Like it didn't yeah. matter to me because also that not because like it was written poorly, but, it, but I never thought that that was the point. Yeah. The point of it was for him to be able to go do this thing and have some fun and experience something that was not his shit life. Mm-hmm. For at least one day. That was that was sort of how I always took it. And I still kind of feel like that's what the point of it was. And he then, escaped the trial by fire. Yeah. Although like one of the like the ending is so strange. Like it's so much weirder than I remember because mm-hmm. like uh Gene Wilder Wonka straight up says like, I don't want an adult to be my successor because adults have their own ideas. Like, I <laughs> yeah. I want a child that I can indoctrinate to do exactly what I want. And then he hugs him and then the music swells. I'm like, swells, this is like, yeah. this is like grooming. It's like corporate yeah, grooming. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I want to groom this kid to be my, like, in my image so that when I die, he will do exactly my bidding. Also, it's like, how is that a good ending for Charlie? Like, cool, you're like a 10 year old. Now you have to run a fucking corporation for the rest of your life. Like, yeah, that doesn't sound like fun. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, oh, wow. I just got <laughs> you're going to teach me about tax law. Are you yeah. gonna teach me? Like, so, so, how's all this work? And the other thing I kept thinking of. OK, so even between the two of them. So your first question was about, like, how does it stack up to when I was a kid? I still have this fascination with Gene Wilder in this movie. I still think he's like, I can't unwatch or I can't not watch him. Oh and, my, yeah. But and the I still problem am like is, thinking about who he doesn't show. Okay. It's like a 90 minute movie. Yeah. He doesn't show up until around the 40 minute mm-hmm. mark. Yeah. And the Tim Burton version is a two hour movie and he shows up around the 28 minute mark. Sure. So like that, like the fact that it's like almost halfway through the movie until he mm-hmm. shows up and, you know, surrounded by these, these actors that are like, 
designed to be abrasive and unpleasant because that's their, uh, you know, point in the movie. But the consequences, they are abrasive and unpleasant and <laughs> they're just complaining constantly. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's just like, wow, Gene Wilder's pretty much the only good thing in this movie. <laughs> Where, especially, like, where the other, he just, like, is doing so much heavy lifting. Like, even for, like, the actors like Grandpa Joe, I'm like, God, this guy sucks. Like, <laughs> not the actor, but just, like, like, where it's just, like, at the beginning where he's like, no, Grandpa Joe, you need the money for your tobacco. For your tobacco, right. And I'm just like, yeah, it's just like, no, Grandpa Joe, you need your liquor. This is your liquor money, Grandpa <laughs> Joe. <laughs> Did you not like the first, like, 40 minutes of it before Willy Wonka shows up? No, I was, I, I was like just it. like, oh my God, please. <laughs> like, I, actually, I mean, it's just like, there's so much unnecessary padding in it. Like they keep cutting to people like these, these almost feels like the improv scenes. It reminded me of like, like a Simpsons episode is what it felt yeah. like. Yeah, It cracked me up though. I, lo- I loved it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually like, thought they were really funny. Cause it's like, <laughs> uh, like even that one guy who's like, I've got this machine. It was straight up like Professor Frank from The Simpsons, which I guess is right. supposed to be or, like the nerdy this, professor uh, or something. But. Or this uh, that woman who's like, my husband's <laughs> been kidnapped, and they're like, give us your Willy right. Wonka chocolate bars. How and long she's do I like, have to think about it? <laughs> yeah, and I'm just kind of sitting here like, come on, come on, you know? Because like again, because I, I I kind of feel like Gene Wilder is kind of the only reason to be here, and the fact that we have to wait 45 minutes for him to show up. But see, that's what I'm saying too. Is I think part of it it was if we had seen Gene Wilder for two hours, right, they would have reached a point where he'd be like, he really is kind of a weirdo. He's, you know, for all the reasons that we had discussed in the first half, mm-hmm. I, I wonder if having him for that extra 40 minutes beforehand might well, have. Not the extra 40 minutes. It's just the first act is way too long. I'm like, get rid of Cheer Up Charlie. Get rid of the weird cutaways with a bunch of randos. Like, we get it. We get that the world is obsessed with obsessed, Willie. Yeah. We get it. You know, I just it, it's about like five, 10 minutes longer than it needs to be. I could agree. Yeah, I think there's some of the numbers earlier. I, I like the cutaways. I just think it's part of the world building in this sort of sense of humor about it and like Mm -hmm. it being ridiculous but yeah cheer up charlie for example or at least have that be a different charlie i want song rather than about his mother just so it would have been more clean as far as the narrative is concerned yeah it's possible i don't know you don't have any idea because it also depends on what would have happened in the story but having him be built up for so long and then finally seeing him Right. Like he's there. He's just not physically there, but he's talked about like the character exists in the story. I just I just thought it was really tedious. I'm just like, you know, as Fair a enough. film, yeah. because I was just like, you know, I I was just like, this is so much more tedious than I remember <laughs> it. Because <laughs> that's the only word I could think to describe it, where it's just like there's just uh, so much unnecessary padding in the first third. Uh, but like, um, glad you had fun. I did. I thought it was <laughs> I funny. <didn't. laughs> I was like, and, and part of my brain went to. Silicon Valley when they were like within the actual chocolate factory uh-huh. where I just kept thinking, I'm like, this is just like Google or Apple or like any of these Silicon Co- Valley companies that have like these super protective campuses where they're like reinventing the wheel every day and people have no fucking idea what's going on. And it's just a bunch of adults pretending like they're children making like weird shit. And I don't know, he's probably microdosing at some point when they're on the, fucking, <laughs> on the boat. Right. Yeah. And it just occurred mm-hmm. to me how much of this is con- and like, you know, the fucking foreign labor force that he brings over through some complicated visa process. I, I that- like I have a note that there is like a colonialist post-colonialist reading that is to be done here. I don't know that I am equipped for it, but uh, both of these movies are really fucked up yeah. in that way. I, I think it's, it's funny where they try to like in the 70s version. 
they try to de-racify it mm-hmm. um, by making the Oompa Loompas orange guys with green hair, but it still keeps this idea of like Loompa Land as this war-torn third world shithole. Um, yeah, shithole that country. Is that heavily, you to heavily, from. yeah, he, he heavily implied to be like in the British Empire, because I think that's also just like a thing that like Roald Dahl just kind of like you know uh, uh, just kind of thoughtlessly you know shoved in there at, at a very interesting time in the British Empire's history as it was, mm-hmm. you know, breaking up. So it is there. I think it's interesting how in the Tim Burton version, they just go all in. Like, <laughs> they don't even With an flinch. Indian guy. <laughs> yeah, they have an Indian guy. They have a flashback to Loompa Land. Yeah. Um, He's even they, dressed like a fucking British yeah, explorer they, at that point, too. They they worship coca beans. Um, they speak in armpit farts yeah. and la 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like, you know what? You kind of got to respect this. Where, like, <laughs> you know, a that they include that and Prince Pondicherry, which is of course from the book, but th- did not need to be there. But he's there. <laughs> he's there. <laughs> he's there. He's like well, Prince Pondicherry in the Tim Burton version is a, is an Indian Maharaja who um, hubist- yeah. hubristically asks Willy Wonka to build him a chocolate palace, and he does. Uh, but you know, he's like, it's really hot here in India. You probably want to eat this. And he's like, no, it's like, no, and bro, it, I'm going to live no, in this bro. shit. And it melts. And if, like, I think the thing is like, it melts and it gives him a bindi. The first thing. Oh, right, right. That's the like... first, the first like drop of chocolate, like lands smack in the middle of this man's forehead. Like that's not in the book. There's no excuse for that. They're like, get it. He's Indian. Get it. Get it. Wink. Yeah. The Burton version is like so much more racist than I remember it. Um, I think I, I, it is really just like in 2005, we just didn't care. We just weren't really having those conversations. No, we really weren't, especially not in like pop culture, yeah. media, that kind of I mean, stuff. It was just people are like, yeah, it's funny that they speak in armpit farts yeah. and the Indian dude gets a dot on his forehead because that's what they do over there. They got the forehead dot. Yeah. And then I was also thinking about it, too, because at least in the 70s version, he has like a flute. That he plays mm-hmm. to like get their attraction, but there he just goes, blah, blah, blah. he just like says nonsense yeah. and then does like the Wakanda forever thing yeah. like, across his chest to like get yeah. them to. I, I'm honestly like, surprised that like there hasn't been a revisiting of this, <laughs> um, considering that Tim Burton has been getting a lot of shit lately um, for in the same way that the Coens have, where it's just like interesting that you. Always, all your protagonists are always white and mm. not just white, but like pale. And, you know, it's just very, it just kind of, for the most part, people of color don't exist in Burton verse unless they are like, uh, we're going to call the Oompa Loompas um, uh, migrant labor, I migrant, guess. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, the, the strong man in Dumbo, like very ancillary characters. It was not great. Here's what I thought, too, in terms of comparing the two of them, right? Mm -hmm. When I was watching the first one, I remembered watching it as a kid. And I remembered feeling to an extent like it was inappropriate at certain certain points in the film. Like it was sort of, for lack of a better description, like I was punching above my weight. Like I shouldn't be seeing this. 
Like it was like meant for older kids or something or like for well, grownups? Well, it's such a strange, yeah, exactly. Like it's such a strange book in the doll verse. Cause I think one of the reason why Roald Dahl is so st- still kind of widely beloved is that generally he is very good at like getting into the head of, or getting into the heads of kids, mm-hmm. seeing things from their point of view, mm-hmm. like, you know, feeling really small, having certain very specific, um, like things they think are funny or anxieties. Like I was thinking about like how, like the BFG is like so the opposite of this movie because it is like so focused on the point of view of the child character. It includes mm-hmm. all this like goofy shit where like farting is a major plot point and the queen it of England farts a lot. <laughs> and like, and you know, kids love that. And this one and on adults. the other hand, it's like, it's like, who is this for? Because the indictment is of the parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the weirdest shit, like, cause like sometimes you're like, okay, um, Veruca Salt is a spoiled brat. Okay. That's a f- totally legit complaint. Yeah. Then you have Violet Beauregard, whose sin is chewing gum too loudly. <laughs> and and it's not even like, like, at least in the Tim Burton version, they add this weird, like, you know, hi, I'm the boomer mom who is living vicariously sure, through my yeah, child. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to turn her into this, like, weird competition machine. But, like... In the older movie and in the book, Violet Beauregard, she just chews gum. And that's the only problem with her is Roll Dahl being annoyed by ki- kids chewing gum too loudly. And I just don't think that's a super valid criticism Listen, against children. I, I'm going to be totally honest. That would be the kind of thing that would drive me insane. And I would write an entire story about hating kids <laughs> chewing gum too loudly. Right, so, like, what, the thin, <laughs> so it's like the, the sins of the kids are spoiled brat. Fatty, fatty who eats too chews much. gum, Chewy. and the creatively named Mike TV. TV. He was like um, a psychopath who like wants to kill people. He's like, yeah. like he's like, well, I can't wait to get he's been in, it, it was like, uh, like the, the theory where media makes you more violent, um, right. which has been thoroughly, thoroughly debunked. And Roald Dahl, like it wasn't just like he watches too much TV. He really did think that like TV would replace books mm-hmm. um, and was harmful for imagination. And I think we kind of now know that like no that's not true like yeah. our our gen like millennials and zoomers actually read more than boomers did or gen xers for that matter is like, that right oh yeah it's it's provably untrue it is i mean part of yeah it's interesting well it's mostly because of like the popularity of books like twilight and the hunger games but that's its own thing okay, uh, okay. so it, it's just kind of like these these criticisms that kind of ended up not bearing out they obviously kind of had to update it for the uh, the new version, mm-hmm. and I think Mike TV is kind of like the worst update because yeah, it didn't make sense. He's too smart for his own good. Yeah, uh, he's like, you look the Nikkei index to blah blah. And I was like, why the fuck did they put the Nikkei index in there? Like he hacked it somehow. Yeah, he hacked it, and he because hates he watched a lot chocolate. of TV, and like it would have yeah. made sense if he was on the computer all the time. That would have made more sense in terms of his character. Yeah, or I mean, but they make it video games. Okay, because I think I think people will be like, you know, oh, yeah, violent video games are bad. This kid's annoying. But if he is on a computer the whole time, which would make more sense as an updated TV. Yeah, uh, that would have made more sense. But they didn't go there. No, it's kind of a mishmash. I was actually thinking a lot about the updates that they made between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, when you know how the sausage is made to an extent, like how films are made or how, mm-hmm. or how films are developed, I should say specifically. Right. Cause there's a lot of questions I am like, why would they do this? Why would they do this? And, and the best parts of the Tim Burton movie are the parts that just sort of go in a totally different direction and do some weird shit that it wasn't in the first one. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine that they had to keep certain hallmarks 
just because for the sake of, oh, well, it's a remake. And if a remake doesn't have this character or this character or this thing or this thing, people are going to be too upset. So you're trying to balance this. Oh, Tim Burton has like a new idea for yeah. it versus and they like had the to cut thing. certain things out like the, you know, there's no way of knowing, um, which is one of the few things that they put in the 71 movie that were kind of kind of like a verbatim thing from the book. And so they had to cut that out of the Tim Burton because it's just so in, inexorably associated with Gene Wilder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so it's also like kind of this weird line that they have to thread where I'm just sort of like, obviously, Depp Wonka had to be completely like a different character that isn't going to feel reminiscent of Gene Wilder. It can't feel derivative. Yeah. So like, and I'm kind of sitting here once like, I wonder what could he have done differently, you know, while staying as far away from Wilder as possible. Okay, so the other thing I thought of too, especially if we're comparing Wilder to Depp, and you mentioned this before, which I hadn't heard before, but it's obvious in retrospect is like Depp plays the sort of Michael Jackson, you know, stunted child, mm-hmm. yeah. which seemed less, obviously believability is not a huge thing because it's about a guy who has a fucking chocolate factory and all this stuff. But like, I, I didn't necessarily believe that he's the guy who would be running that factory by himself. With he's no one really, else around. He, he's really good at managing, you know, teams. He's really good at <laughs> out, he's really good at delegating certain Oompa Loompa's skills. <laughs> None of that came across. Honestly, yeah, it's, it's like it's all off screen. Don't worry about yeah. it. He's re, yeah, he's actually really good at managing funds. Um, you know, that's why Wonka Core is always in the black. Um, it's very it weird. Is, yeah, there was like I think there's uh yeah, yeah, just like there's an Oompa Loompa for every like there's a secretary named Doris, right. which is just Deep Roy in a wig. Deep Roy I think again my, in my, wig, yeah. my favorite uh, there's this this amazing Deep Roy moment towards the end of the movie where um Willy Wonka is like with his Oompa Loompa psychiatrist oh, yeah, that part's and really just funny. kind of having this really one-sided conversation and Deep Roy is not saying anything, and then he sits up and he looks at, at the Oompa Loompa and he's like, You're very good. good. Right? Yeah. And Deep Roy just takes <laughs> Off his glasses, <laughs> takes off his glasses and like nods at the camera. This very smug. I'm like, that's why I love that man, and, <laughs> and that's why I don't feel super weird about the Oompa Loompas in this movie. <laughs> oh yeah, Deep Roy was like the best part of that movie. I kind of yeah. wish he had had a whole thing. Yeah, I, I just that was one of the things I remember. Just like I remember loving Deep Roy and also Deep Roy singing Danny Elfman's <laughs> voice. I did. So the other thing I thought of too. So I was thinking of. He's a stunted child, right? And Depp right. is, right? Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking of Gene Wilder. Mm-hmm. And then I started to get a little bit uncomfortable because I started to do this digging, which I don't suggest people do, which is start looking up the ages of actors when they were playing certain roles. Right. And I'm like, oh, okay. That character, he's 38 when he's playing that movie. I turned 38 on Thursday. Uh, um, he he is a creative sorry. guy. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's this guy who's unmarried. He doesn't have kids. He, for all intents and purposes, is working as like a creative person, like doing all these like fun, creative, weird things. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he is kind of, I, I wouldn't say stunted, but there is this part of me, this insecurity of me where I'm like, well, society sees you as only being an adult once you have children and once you have, a, you know, a spouse, mm-hmm. unless you are rich, right? Unless you're successful right. and then it's okay. And then people are like sort of Then you're allowed to kind of be like a child. Eccentric weirdo, and weird, yeah. That, you know, because it's like in a weird way, like I feel like, you know, the, the movie is more honest about how uh, there's this sort of grooming element almost <laughs> where like, you know, corporate grooming, but uh, <laughs> where, where like, cause the big difference in the Tim Burton movie is whenever, um, 
Willy Wonka offers Charlie his chocolate factory. Everybody's like, woo, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. And Charlie's like, cool, my family can come too, right? Right. And in the Gene Wilder version, he's like, of course. And in the Johnny Depp version, without missing a beat, he's like, of course you can't. And then he's (laughs) like, no, absolutely not. Why would you want that? I'm giving you a chance to get away from them. Isn't that great? And so Charlie, of course, is like, all right, I'm going to have to refuse your offer. And, um, then that ties back in with the uh, dad subplot, which was added. And another thing that I f- felt a lot more tacked on than I remember it. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, but then Christopher Lee shows up and he's just he's so fucking, Christopher fucking Lee. delightful. Yeah. Like <laughs> just, just the way he says caramel. Just like with such loathing. And so I'm just like, on the one hand, this is just so tacked on. And I think if the the angle they were going for um, with Johnny Depp is found family, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense that like he reconciles with his father, but then found families with uh, Charlie's family anyway. Right. That is kind of weird. That And then and then they're like, they take the house. Why would they bring the house into the fucking chocolate room? Which I thought was weird. Because it's, the last shot is they're like it's sprinkling. Whimsy. Yeah. It's, whim- it's whimsy. Don't worry about Here's it. Here's your shitty, super poor house that you guys are all sleeping they're in They're really bed. attached to it, okay? Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just like a weird like thing they do once a year. You know, they <laughs> they, th- they pay homage to their... Yeah, it's, it's, it's... I mean, it's just like a cutesy little thing. I, uh, that doesn't bother me. But like the, the thing about Christopher Lee, especially like in Tim Burton movies, is like he's always in it for like a second. But like when he's on screen, I'm just like, he just fills me with such delight. I love that man. I just, I don't, I'm not saying it works, but I just love that Christopher Lee. That's the power of a good actor. A good actor will deliver. Because that's another thing. It's just like Johnny, like Johnny Depp was not burdened in the way that Gene Wilder was by having to like carry the movie. I think another big thing with the Tim Burton movies, like the child actors, in my opinion, are just so much better. Mm. Um, like it's, uh, uh, like even Augustus Gloop, who's like, again, hardly in it. Uh, he has this like during his intro, he has this great moment where like they're like, what are you going to do, Augustus? And he's like, I eat more candy. <laughs> and then he has this look on his face where he's like, I'm going to do it right now. Yeah. And then <laughs> like, um, and like Veruca is like the fact that she's kind of conniving and the kid that plays Violet is just a lot more like she actually has a personality. You remember it. Missy Pyle, who plays her mom, is Love great. Her. Yeah, I, That's you know, part of all like and then fucking what's her name, too? Uh uh, Helena Bonham Carter plays yeah, Charlie's yeah. mom and then yeah, Noah again, Taylor plays his it. dad. Right, right, right. And they like have such warmth to them. You buy them as a couple. Absolutely. Um, I just think like the supporting cast is just like, you know, and also another thing I noticed is like there's so much complaining in the Gene Wilder to just illustrate how these parents are shitty. So they'll be like, what's going on, Wonka? Whoa, I don't like this. And it just goes on the whole movie. And they don't do that at all in Tim Burton version. Because I think it's just like, yes, yes, we get it, you know. And it just the supporting cast is a lot better. So there's a lot less heavy lifting that needs to be done by uh, the lead actor. Yeah, that's true. That's actually a very good point. That's what happens when you have a director like Tim Burton who just has this cast of people who he keeps working yeah. with and he knows mm-hmm. he's like, all right, you're, it's like a fucking sports team. He's like, I know where you go. I know that you're going to run yeah, this play. Yeah. You're going to do this shit, this shit, this shit. Touchdown. That's my biggest problem reference. with Tim Burton is he doesn't use Missy Pyle more. He uses um, her in like a lot of them though, right? Or you're saying just not like in bigger no, parts. No, just in more movies. In more movies. Just not yeah. in all of his movies, which I take slight issue with. I agree. And she fits so well into his world too. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. She because she is so cartoonish, yeah. and like there's this there's this great shot. Like that's another thing. Like there's so many great reaction shots mm-hmm. in this movie, uh, where she, where like Violet is going on about how how great she is, and it just cuts to Missy Pyle looking at her with this like insane energy, like <laughs> <laughs> like like yes, tell them why Violet. Like oh, it's so great. And they're wearing like those two thousand four or whatever year it was. Like yeah, oh the, the velour so, yeah. juicy yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Like, and it's a weird way because, like, that's one of the few things that make this movie feel kind of dated because, like, mm-hmm. Tim Burton is generally very good at not doing that um, because he has such, like, a unique style. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if he, even if it felt like 2004 Hot Topic, it also feels like 2021 Hot Topic. Um, <laughs> man, the velour. I remember that. I had a, I had a suit like that. It was mm-hmm. pink. Every girl did at that point, it seemed yeah. like. Well, what, do you, uh, what, what did you want to say about the Charlies? I mean, I think- Well, I guess... I remember really liking Freddie Highmore because mm-hmm. um, that was like there was this couple year span where he was in everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, as I was rewatching this, I'm like, on the one hand, it works because Charlie kind of needs to be a blank slate. Yeah. But I'm like, you could have res- you could have played you could have replaced Freddie Highmore with like the child actor equivalent of a sexy lamp. And, you know, <laughs> it wouldn't have changed anything. <laughs> just kind of just like this cute little, you know, kid that like barely reacts to anything. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I, I still like Freddie Highmore, though. No, he's Pete super o- cute, yeah. Yeah, Pete Ostrom in the original, I think, has a lot more personality. He's uh, it's fine. Again, yeah. I, I still don't think either of the movies are about Charlie. They're always... A, like, yeah, they're, they're about Willy movies are about Willy. I think, yeah, that's one of the smart things about the Tim Burton ver- version is that he knew kind of to let Charlie take back seat. That I think, you know, honestly does kind of work a little better than like the fact that like the Charlie in the original is in it so much. And mm-hmm. he does fuck up, which doesn't really make any sense in the context of the universe. It, it really, that whole scene just feels like it was like written. Uh, they're like, Oh fuck, wait, we need to have some sort of reason <laughs> yeah. why this happens. Although I do fucking love those sets though. I love that fucking, the, the last set that he's in his office where everything's half. Oh yeah. Everything's like halvesies. Yeah. Cause it's interesting what you can do because like, clearly they didn't have a budget. Uh, even by 70 standards. Mm-hmm. Um, so like they had to get creative with the design to make it look like whimsical and magical while also not uh, spending a bunch of money. Yeah. So yeah. The, I, I remember when I saw Charlie in the chocolate factory, I remember thinking it was very weird because I was so attached to the Oompa Loompa songs that sort of mm-hmm. all followed the same kind of musical pattern. Mm-hmm. But then because this one was so weird this time watching it, I kind of just liked how batshit it was. Yeah. <laughs> like Danny Elfman's like, yes, finally. Yeah. Danny Elfman unleashed. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they were just very weird and kind of like off the wall. And, and yeah. it didn't And not what me. you'd expect. Like, I think it, it, there's almost sort of a deliberateness for how different they are. Like Veruca Salt Song. It's like they took it as far from I want it now as they possibly could have. So it's like this sort of, you know, late 1960s Good Morning Starshine style uh, ballad. Veruca Salt, the little Brit, has just gone down the garbage chute. Well, the other thing I was thinking, too, is these songs that they do for the Oompa Loompas feel more like if this was a stage musical. These Oompa Loompa songs feel much more like big numbers that they would have done. Yeah. Like it sort of yeah. felt closer to that kind of 
idea of musicals that, you know, I've sort of tried poorly to articulate over the yeah, course of yeah. this podcast. I, but I also thought it was funny uh, where, you know, some of the lyrics are not good, like especially for Violet, um, which again, like his only problem with Violet is she chews gum. So I can notice like Danny Elfman, like in that one, he really tries to obscure the lyrics so you can't really <laughs> hear what they are, as opposed to Veruca Salt where um, there are these like visual signifiers where they'd like, you know, an oyster, you know, the trash. Uh, so it's very clear what the lyrics are in that one. You know, because that one's like, okay, she's a brat. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, and that's a point we want to make. I don't remember. Did they actually ever do a stage version of this? No. They never did. I mean, not a professional one. I think they might have done like community theater versions, but like I've never heard of it. Uh, I think it'd be really hard. uh, Yeah. Because like there's so many sets. Mm -hmm. I would not honestly categorize this as a musical, the Tim Burton version. Um, as we would define it, because it doesn't start until around like, you know, halfway through the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's only, and it's only the Oompa Loompas that do it. Ideally, what you'd have is like a, a mishmash of the two of them, like a mashup. Yeah. Like for the first, um, like in the way it kind of was in the first movie, because mm-hmm. uh, like there's only five songs. And yeah. the first one is the sort of like, it's a small world. Oh, that one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Willy Wonka. Yeah. And I'm just like, I re- I'm like, I heard, I saw that trailer a billion times. Why? Was I just seeing every movie in 2005? Maybe that's it. That's but I like the Willy Wonka song. I'm like, I know every word to this. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I know it was from the trailer. But why? It might have been from watching TV. That's the thing we used to do is actually oh, yeah. like, watch broadcast television. I, I, I do. Uh. You know, again, like they have to differentiate themselves from uh, like Gene Wilder and that sort of like iconic walk he does mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And during his character intro. And so, again, they go like this completely like bonkers, demonic. It's a small world <laughs> like animatronics. The catches fire and like melts. The catches fire and then it just like, you know, uh, I, I do like I think the tone is uh, like, you know really fun and funny. It's almost kind of like Invader Zim-ish, um, especially like with Danny Elfman's score. Sure. Which again, it just, I feel like this is kind of like the last time they had fun <laughs> making movies. Well, I think this is the last time. I mean, he did do a string of remakes after this, but this is not Disney. So I think, I feel like right. that's all he's been doing is Disney movies, right? Right, yeah, yeah. After Alice in Wonderland, that was it. That was Yeah, because that it. made so much money that they were like, all right, cool. We'll fucking fast track you on everything. I don't even know what his right, next one he is. Did. He did Dumbo. I think he, he did, did a Dumbo. second. Did he do a second Alice in Wonderland? Or someone he did else Frank did that? and Weenie. That was like, but that was also Disney. Um, yeah. But that was his own thing from Disney in like 1980s, I think. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was his, as a director, um, Big Eyes. I never saw that. That was a small drama. Yeah, I didn't see that either. I forgot he did Dark Shadows. That was the last Oh, I forgot one about that one. He did Untitled Beetlejuice sequel. What? Mm. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. Uh that's Warner Brothers. So yeah, okay. So he has been doing stuff with uh, other companies. So he did Dark Shadows with Warner Brothers. I did see that in theaters. Would not recommend. No. Um, was that a musical? Did, uh, no. Okay. It was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. Um, yeah, so he did three musicals in a row. He did Charlie, Corpse Bride, and Sweeney Todd. And has oh, not oh, done a musical I, since. I forgot. I did want to ask. Why do you think they insisted on making the original one into uh, at least like a half musical? Uh, it's a good question, uh, because that was like when musicals were really on the outs. Yeah. Maybe it was cause it was for kids. Like 
because uh, Disney was still kind of doing it. Uh, like the Jungle Book had just come out. Mm-hmm. The Aristocats was 1970, although neither of those did very well. No, that was like after at, you died. At least at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jungle Book did okay, but n- nobody saw the Aristocats because nobody likes the Aristocats. Oh, I said it. Oh. Oh, yeah. I so I think I think it was like still kind of accepted for kids movies. But like, again, it was it was sort of like, a, you know, dying out. It was like low budget things like Rocky Horror. And then there was like the prestige of Cabaret. And then there's just like this long dry spell mm-hmm. until the late 80s when Disney yeah. started doing uh, musicals again. Because we had, we had talked about this, too, because I think Sound of Music was the one that we decided. It was yeah, like the last yeah. big one. And that was yeah, a couple yeah. years before that. Yeah, but, it was like Sound of Music, Mary Poppins, and then like there was a big glut yeah. of, of of bombs. Because again, like Doctor Doolittle is was one that was made for kids, mm-hmm. um, like in the way that Mary Poppins was. It's also interesting because from what I was reading too, I guess that was one of the things that I, I can't remember if you mentioned this in the first half or not. That it was one of the things that Roald Dahl was annoyed by. Like mm-hmm. he he didn't want it to be a musical. He was like, I don't know why the fuck that's the point of it. I, I don't know why the fuck we would do that. Mm. So it seems interesting. Both in, in in the sense that like musicals were on the outs, like you said, Raldell didn't want to do it and it doesn't like fully commit to it either in terms of right. it, having that musical structure. So it seems really strange. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. not even what I remember about it. I don't even think about it as a musical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's kind of a big problem with the movie in general is it is kind of like a movie of half measures mm-hmm. um, with one very big exception. This obviously being Gene Wilder. And that I think because, again, like it was a huge flop when it came out mm. Um and I think that's, you know, the only reason why it came back uh, is because of Gene Wilder's performance. So he's just like that, just that iconic. Again, just, that's what a good actor will get you. Yeah. <laughs> what and a I great don't th- actor will imbue with it yeah, to the role. Exactly. Exactly. You don't think you could say the, th- the same about Johnny Depp, but I do kind of feel like he was uh, unfairly, his performance was unfairly maligned just because people were just so used to Gene Wilder and so attached to Gene Wilder in this role. You know, I think it's kind of almost unfair to compare them because like the take Johnny Depp did was so different. It's like, honestly, like it is a different character. Mm -hmm. Earlier on, I was, I was talking about him being 38, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) What was it? What was Gene Wilder? He would have been in his late thirties too. No, no. I'm saying Gene Wilder was 38 when he filmed Mm -hmm. that role. Which, of course, I felt personally attacked by uh, learning <laughs> that information. But so, so what I was thinking was also in terms of my own self and like what I do and me being unmarried without children is that you can kind of look at him as a child in that sense by society standards. Yeah. But he doesn't play it as like a infantile way as much. But that might explain some of his weird outbursts and him. Like if you look at him as like a kid, mm-hmm. the way he treats the other kids He's just like another sort of aggressive, disinterested person who just looks yeah. at them as competition rather than as himself as an adult in relation to these children. Yeah. And the sense? fact that that kids make him so uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, which is like, honestly, mood. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I think it's interesting where it's just like his whole, um, you know, on the one hand, you know, because he is kind of like an adult child. He understands what kids like. But on the other hand, he's so like detached that like, you know, he doesn't know how to relate to the very demographic he is selling things to. Um, which again, is sort of why it's like, just a, like, it's just a completely different character from Gene Wilder's version because like he is kind of just incomplete as a person. And so mm-hmm. I like that again, I feel like they could have like maybe integrated the found family element better, but I'm just so delighted by every goddamn frame <laughs> of Christopher Lee. I just, uh, same Z's. 
but the ending is basically like he just shows up to get his teeth fixed and then they like yeah, relationship they fixed. I know. Like, yeah, I'm just like, yeah, relationship fixed. But the, there's the awkward hug at the end. I'm just like, again, delightful. Like <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Lee hugging Johnny Depp. Delightful. So overall, I still like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I still like all the cutaways and all the goofy stuff. I, it pretty much whole, has so the, the same Simpsons sort of weird tone. Yeah. It still has that weird tone from when I was a child. It doesn't, and I mean this in a good way, it does not feel different from when I watched it as a kid. Hmm. It still feels like that weird kind of discomfort. It sort of takes me back to a place, the discomfort in a good way of just like, mm-hmm. I feel like I shouldn't be, like I'm too young to see this. And that's what mm-hmm. I liked about it as a kid. Uh, and then the other one is fine. It's okay. I'm okay <laughs> with it. Yeah. I uh, I guess I feel the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> What? We should start a podcast where we yeah, discuss yeah. our opinions on stuff. I, yeah, I, I, th- I think honestly, like I, the thing that surprised me was how much I didn't like the Gene Wilder version where I was just like, this is honestly worse than I remember it. Um, it's a bummer. Y- yeah. You can drag me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I don't uh, I, I don't know if you guys can tell, but I don't actually operate my Twitter account anymore. But you kids have fun. You can tell us at uh, Musical Splainin with no G on Twitter. <laughs> Or you can tell us on Musical Splaining with a G on Instagram. And of course, I am at Kavitaharian on Twitter and at Permafriends on Instagram. I've been doing my fun comics. Please go check them out. If you guys enjoy our podcast, which I'm assuming you do if you've listened this far, uh, please leave us a review or check out any of the sponsors that have been gracious enough to help us out and uh, allow us to keep making these. Yeah, use those uh, codes. Use the codes and the links. Get get discounts and help us out. Yeah, everybody wins. Yeah, poor <laughs> childless unmarried Kave over here needs a dowry. <laughs> oh! Has your mother been giving you shit? <laughs> no, my mom. My mom does it actually. My mom's like, whatever, don't worry about it. All right, everybody. Well, we'll be back. Do we want to talk about? We already know what we're actually going to do next episode. Do we want oh, to talk yeah, about it? Yeah, yeah. Um, we've, we've done something very fun. Yeah, next week is in the Heights week. Uh, so we're going to do that and, uh, have a big party, which I guess we'll put it on Instagram. It's going to be very exciting. So it'll be the first thing. It'll probably be the only movie that you and I have watched in the theater for this show. Yeah, probably. So once we start, because I'm making an exception for In the Heights because I don't think it's going to get revived anytime soon. Yeah. So get, get hype, get excited kids. See you next time. See you later.